Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode, I have Robbie Rowland. Robbie is a professional pitcher who is currently going into his 10th season of playing professional baseball. He has experienced the full spectrum in the game and has a passion to share his experience to help others. Robbie, thanks so much for coming on to the show um, for today. Yeah, man. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so um, we've had a little chat now just offline there, um, and I can already tell this is going to be a fantastic interview. I mean, you're, you're knowledgeable, you've got so much to share, and uh, I think it's going to be cool for listeners just to get to listen to what is it like for a professional baseball player to have to maintain their body from when they start their career to where you are now too, and even beyond. So, And of course, the, the show has a lot of interest from a nutritional point of view, and a lot of listeners um, like the low carb, the keto, the carnivore way of eating, and that's how you're eating now. So, before we get into why you're doing keto carnivore, I'd like to begin with what has your nutrition journey been like from when you started playing professional baseball to where you are? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I, I want to you know thank you for lying to the audience and saying that I was knowledgeable. I, uh, I appreciate that. No. <laughs> But honestly, man, like just to give you kind of a short summary of how it works was, I mean, I got drafted in 2010 at the age of 18, you know, and I was, I was the same height I am now, like 6'5", but, you know, back then I was like, you know, buck 90 coming out of the pool with the tux on, like a, just a skinny rail guy, long lanky. And, you know, at that point, I think I, I can relate to a lot of other individuals at that age that are, that are active. You can pretty much just eat whatever you want. Right. And you can just burn, you know, McDonald's for fuel and you're not going to really, you're not going to really notice anything. So my first year professionally, it was, it was tough, man, because it's a totally different side of the spectrum as far as professional baseball than high school baseball, because in high school, you're obviously living with your parents and, you know, they're cooking a lot of your meals and preparing a lot of things for you. Even like when you come home from school at lunch, there's something there for you. And then when you turn pro, a lot of the times, you know, you're living out of a hotel. Um, you know, you don't really have that much time to prepare you know, nutrient dense meals. A lot of the things are are pretty much like on the go. So, especially my first season, I you know I didn't really know what to expect going in it. So, a lot of the times, you know, it was just pick something up quick from you know a fast food restaurant, a sandwich spot, and uh, and then go to the field. And then <laughs> that's a whole other subject. The food at the field at that time, you know, it was a lower level lo- lower level minor league team so it was like there was no budget so you're getting pb and j's for lunch you're getting you know maybe some salami if on a good day like a friday (laughs) um just nothing really too like i don't know good for your body you're really just relying on your natural athleticism to take over uh and being young obviously helps with you know waking up every morning and trying to feel good but uh and then a whole another side of that was after games you know at that year even 2010 2011 you know we weren't getting fed post game meals so it was on us to go to go get food and and you know our game started at 7 so they're not ending until like 10 at night um you know you shower up you you kind of re- relax a little bit after the game in the clubhouse you don't get out of there till probably like 11:30 even sometimes midnight depending on what you're what your exercise regimen looked like after the game. Um, and so, I mean, as you can imagine, not a whole lot of places were open, uh, you know, around that time. So, you know, I was in Missoula, Montana, of all places, my first two years professionally. And, 
um, there was a, I don't know if you're familiar with like a Perkins diner, but it was kind of like a 24 hour thing, you know, like a Denny's and that was our spot, you know, every home game we'd go after there and, you know, I'm 18, so I don't really know much. So it was like, oh yeah, milkshake sounds good. Like I'll, I'll take down a milkshake every night, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, that was kind of like the, the experience my first couple years was, and I got away with it, you know, like genetically, I think I, uh, you know, I'm towards the top tier as far as athletic ability and, and body compensation. So, um, you know, I wasn't seeing like drastic changes, um, until I want to say like, I turned like 21, 22 was actually when I really started diving into, okay, how can I really optimize my performance on the field? And I started looking at, um, you know, the full, the full spectrum as far as like, okay, I got to take care of my weight training. I got to take care of, you know, proper sleep. I got to take care of, um, you know, all of these other things. And then like nutrition kind of came in there and it was like, okay, well, you know, before I thought eating healthy was throwing some chicken wings in the oven and turn it to 350 and <laughs> waiting 10 to 12 minutes. But uh, that's when I started diving into, you know, like, okay, if I, if I do want to, you know, increase my longevity as far as, peak performance and peak, peak athletic ability, then I started, I, I need to start diving deeper into that. And then, you know, I think every single year it kind of just increased, increased, increased. And then, you know, even till now I kind of, I mean, as you can see, like through my Instagram page and whatnot, I'm kind of obsessed with it. Yeah. I mean, that it is fascinating to think that you turned professional, but nutritionally you were left in the dark there. Um, Very. Yeah. It's, um, I think most people think uh, would say, wow, you know, once they turn professional, then they're just taken care of. Um, everything's done for them in life. They, they've only got the best chefs in the world who are on the cusp of whatever nutrition has been found to enhance athletes mm -hmm. at that stage. But it's not, it doesn't sound like that. Well, it's it's funny, dude, because like, I think a lot of people and it's not anyone's in particular's fault. It's just, they get a glimpse of what like major league baseball looks like on TV and they get a glimpse of what the, you know, the sports page says about a lot of major league athletes as far as the contracts and, you know, the, the salary negotiations. And, you know, they start getting an idea and a misinterpretation as far as like this, this almost um, different persona that a lot of these athletes take on. Like, uh, and, and I think it's a totally different opposite side of the spectrum when you talk about like minor league baseball, because, you know, we're not, you know, just to be completely open with you, like my first contract was like $1,100 a month, you know, obviously, you, you know, the side of the nutrition now and um, there was just, it's really, and obviously, it's getting a lot better if you are, you know, keeping up to date with, with where things are heading towards minor league baseball. Now it's getting better. Um, there's, there's more, I think, weight being put into the, the nutrition side of things nowadays, but yeah, man, like back then. And, and it's funny too, because my dad played uh, for 10 years as well. And I mean, it was obviously a lot worse when he played and it's drastically better when I played, but still I would determine it as bad too. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you know a lot of people don't know when it comes to minor league baseball, um, and I think we're doing a better job. Obviously, social media shines a light on every single subject these days. So, you know, there's it's definitely I think getting getting put out into the open now. So, do, is there a big difference then between the minors and the majors? Like, if you went straight, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to be ignorant because I'm. I, I'm not, I'm not um, quite up to speed with all the, the different leagues when it comes to baseball, but um, sure. 
So is there quite a, a difference then if you get drafted straight into one of the, the major league baseball teams? From yeah, league? well, it's it's interesting, man, because like baseball is one of the only like sports where, you know, once you get drafted, like you still have a super long journey ahead of you to get to where, uh, you know, your goals are. Obviously, when you get drafted, you know, a, yeah, a goal can be I want to get drafted, but your major goal should be, you know, I want to get to the big leagues, right? MLB, like with the people you see on TV, um, you know, getting paid these contracts and, and living the dream essentially. And, you know, there's such a difference between MILB compared to MLB. It's not like when you're, you know, a football guy and you're drafted and like you have the ability to start opening night. Like you just don't see that in baseball. You have, you know, to, to, to paint a picture for you, you know, for me, I got drafted and I got sent to what was called rookie ball. And like you go rookie ball and I'm going to paint a picture as far as the levels go. And there's, there's rookie ball, there's advanced rookie ball, there's low, uh, low a, there's high a, there's double a, there's triple a, and then there's big league. So you have, you know, you're talking six to seven levels of, of minor league baseball, uh, to go through. And, and then as you can imagine, just piggybacking off of that, like, think of all those players, right? Like think of the competition that you have to, to get to where you are. Right. And not to, not to mention like, you know, me being a a pitcher, like there's, you know, there's 12 pitchers on a major league team. So there's 12 pitchers out of, you know, during the regular season, 25 guys. So you're, you're trying to make, um, you know, a roster spot, one of the 12 per 30 for 30 teams and I'm no like math star but I mean you can put the percentages into your head as far as if there's seven levels with 30 guys on those seven levels so you now you're talking about 200 to 300 guys per organization and you're and you're trying to for you know you're fighting for 12 spots on that big league team out of you know say 150 to 200 guys per per team like that's wow I just said a lot of numbers now I'm confused but yeah I mean if you can just kind of get that image uh as far as the competition what that looks like and actually how hard it is and and just how special it is for those guys that are in the big leagues right now you know playing every day and and just doing it like it's you know a lot goes into it behind the scenes that a lot of people um you know don't really understand and again it's no fault to them but I think as we proceed in the social media age uh, you know, things are going to get brought to light as far as like we sitting here talking about this podcast, you know, talking on Instagram or whatever it is, like more and more people are going to start to see like really how hard it is um, to achieve those goals. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And I, I, I always think uh, same with golfers, you know, the PGA tour and when people. Oh, see- it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and there's only a percentage, very small percentage of people who can even handle that, you know, that get to that level and make it even economically worthwhile, you know, the struggle that everyone else goes through before they even hit that level. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like that's, that's a whole nother thing too. And like, if you want to talk about getting to that level and then trying to stay at that level, right. And you talk about like pressure and you talk about the pressure of how to, how to stay there, man. Like that's a whole nother side of the spectrum for golf too, right? Like you're on that tour and you're like, okay, I've busted my butt to freaking get to this position. Like, all right, don't look a fool, right? Like you gotta, you gotta do everything in your power to block all that, that so-called pressure out and just be like, yo, like I, I belong here. I'm, I'm just going to try to relax. And it's funny dude. Cause I'm sitting here like saying all this, like, wow, it sounds so easy to just do, but it, or say, but it's a totally different thing to be in that moment and uh and try to try to say <laughs> try to say those words to yourself but yeah man it's it's sports in general is just crazy i think in that regard so talking um nutrition wise from for a pitcher because you've 
I would imagine a pitcher is a bit like a sprinter because you have to go from zero to top speed in no time right? and do it repetitively. So you, from an energy point of view, like what's it like? Um, like how long can you pitch for in a game? Yeah, I mean, it varies, right? So you have, you have the starting pitcher who's your guy that's going to start the game and go out and probably throw the most pitches. Um, you know, today's day and age, it's probably like you're going to try to get five or six innings. And you know, you're going to throw up to 100, 110 pitches, right? Obviously, back in the olden days, it was a lot different because they didn't really have like a bullpen relievers. And it was like the starter who started the game was going to go the whole time. Um, but nowadays, it's definitely changed in that regard. And, and, and then once the starter goes to however long he can go, I think the average um, for this year, and like I said, it's changing throughout year to year because bullpens are getting so dominant. But an average pitcher is going to go out there and throw probably five to six innings on average. And that'll probably, you know, accumulate 100 hundred and somewhat pitches somewhere around there and then you bring in your other guys right so you have your six seven eight nine innings still still left and and you know it, it's all varied upon you know who's coming in the game so relievers typically probably throw like uh it's it's somewhere between they're gonna face one batter to they're gonna potentially face like you know the lineup once so if you can paint that picture it's you know there's nine guys in a lineup and you're going to face all of those guys once and sometimes that goes you know one two three innings it, it's all variable but you're right man like you know zero to a hundred like that's that's the way pitching is and I think you know if you want to take it like a step further is like how can we manipulate that in the training room you know as far as being like stagnant to going full speed and it's it's going to be a good segue between you and I. I feel it coming as far as you know how can we, you know how can we train and how can we put things into our body that are going to optimize very high power output numbers. Um, so, yeah. and that's exactly what I'm thinking. So, from a, you know, there's multiple elements for you to be able to perform at that level, and we're just talking about one of the building blocks, which is what you're putting in your body to be what you're eating, yeah. and that's why I'm. I, so this is like a segue into the keto carnivore where people look to go more ketogenic for sustained energy to avoid those, those like yo-yo diet energy feelings. Right. Um, is that something that you found also through your nutrition journey and where you are now that your energy levels are different because of this current way of eating? Yeah, you know what, man, it's funny, and I'll try to be as brief as possible with this because it is kind of a somewhat long story, but the, the story behind how I started ketogenic was actually, um, I want to say like 18 months ago, so May of like 17, I actually ended up getting hit in the face with a comebacker, um, and I was going to miss a substantial amount of time, and it was a time in my career where, you know, I wasn't like, I couldn't do anything. You know, I was, uh, I came down with a concussion. I broke my face pretty much. And it was just like, I couldn't do anything. And I, I thought to myself, like, look, I've always gotten away with eating pretty unhealthy just because of how active I was in the active lifestyle that I had. And, and now I'm sitting here on the couch, like not being able to do anything. Like I got to change something up, man. So, you know, long story short, it, it, it turned into like a intermittent fasting style of eating. And then obviously, as you know, and a lot of your listeners probably know that the ketogenic way just kind of complements that very nicely. And I dove into it. And it was funny. So as I'm as I'm getting ready for my return that particular season, right around the you know July, early August stages, um, you know I'm trying to be fat adapted. Like I'm trying to get get to that point where you know I'm starting to you know turn glucose off and, and start using fat for fuel. And and as you know, man, it's kind of a tough adjustment. And uh, and I'm sitting here trying to do it like while 
pitching in games. And I specifically remember like just absolutely being exhausted by like the third or fourth inning. And again, like I'm a starting pitcher. So my responsibility is to go pretty deep into games. And, um, and I just remember like, you know, being ketogenic and it was probably like my third, maybe fourth week strictly keto. And, you know, I'm trying to start these games once a week and I'm going out and like feeling really good, you know, first couple innings and then just hitting a wall. And I remember specifically having to go into the dugout a couple times in between, you know, third or fourth inning right around there and like just shooting pre-workout, you know, straight down and like getting something to boost me. And, uh, and then, man, I tell you what, like my, my second or third, maybe fourth start, uh, being keto, I just remember like coming off the field in like the sixth or seventh inning after having thrown, you know, upwards to 90 to a hundred pitches and just tell them like, dude, it was, it was a whole nother feeling of just, wow, I feel really good. And it wasn't just like, Hey, I feel really good. Like I've had success this particular game. It was like my energy level. Like I could go, you know, I could throw a whole nother game right now. And it was, it was weird because I never really ex- experienced that because, you know, obviously during a game, your emotions are kind of like a roller coaster. You're having success, you're having failures throughout the course of a game. And, you know, that weighs on you. And, uh, and I just remember this game, I'm like walking off the field manager says I'm done. And I'm just like, yo, like, let's go for a lift. Like, let's go for a run. Like, let's do something. Cause I was wired. And it was right around that same time that I really just, I just, I didn't need as much sleep. Like I just, I was waking up like super early, like going to the hotel gyms and working out. And it was just a whole different animal, man. And, um, and I know it's not like, uh, you know, everyone's kind of has that similar, uh, you know, kind of start to their, their journey. I think it's just a totally, you know, totally different light that you, you kind of get into. So how old are you at the moment, Robbie? Um, oh, I like to tell people I'm 16. But uh, apparently I'm 26 is what my birth certificate says. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's cool to know too that, again, as you said, um, when you were 18, you you know, we all feel that you can get away with things a lot more. Right. But it's, and I know a lot of people when they, when they hit that 30 mark and beyond, then they really notice the changes like, oh, wow, yeah, I've got like mid, you know the pudge or my energy levels are completely different from when I was in my teen years or my 20s. But even here, you're finding... You, there's still another level of energy that you're able to attain even whilst you're still in your 20s, which I think a lot of people will find fascinating. Well, you know what, man? Like, and I didn't really notice this either because, I mean, you know how fast time goes, especially if you're playing a game for a living, man. Like, time, I, I, I remember, I remember going into my 2000 and what was it, 2015 season, and I remember getting a, a like a, a moment where I was like, man, this is like at the time it was like my sixth season already, and I was like, it was a blink of an eye, man. And like things just happen so fast. And then I remember, um, you know, obviously the here and now, like having, you know, played nine seasons going into my 10th and, you know, that takes a toll on your body, you know, as much as I hate to admit it. And, and obviously I joke about feeling 18 years old, um, every day, like it's still like being a professional athlete, like you do things throughout the course of your day, um, in season, off season, it doesn't matter. Like you you put your body through the ringer, you know, if it's obviously the sport demands a high, uh, a high capacity for, um, training, you know, like you have to be, uh, in tip top shape. But for me, it's, it's, it's in every, almost every month, right? Like I'm not only playing, you know, during the spring and the summers, but I also like to play during the winter. Um, so I'm almost playing year round and, and I mean, it takes a toll. So, I mean, I may, I may be only 26. I know a lot of your listeners are like, man, like, you know, he's 26, he should feel good, blah, blah, blah. But 
you know, if you put into account or take into account, like what I've put my body through as far as training all the year around and, and playing this game almost all year around and, and, and the crappy bus rides to different States and the crappy hotel beds and the crappy food for the first few first five years of my career like it all takes a toll man and that's something that I'm starting to come to a, a realization as I'm getting older and, and some would say more mature I won't call it that but I'm starting to realize that you know it, it all it all matters right like everything you do how you do everything matters and um, you know it's no accident that the best of the best are the ones that really pay attention to what they're putting in their body they're paying attention to you know how they're how they're sleeping what they're sleeping on what they're doing before their sleep you know and that's what I've, that's how I've gotten so freaking obsessed with like the, you know, quote unquote biohacking of things right now is because, you know, it all matters. It, it, everything you do in your day is, is a stepping stone to, to what you're going to become. Wow. I just thought of that quote, man. Write that down. That was freaking cool. <laughs> uh, I'm also interested then, were there any mentors or do you have anyone that sort of was a forerunner in the baseball uh field that showed you, Hey, maybe this ketogenic way or this carnival way is, is, um, is something that you need to explore. You know, I'm glad you said that, man, because this opens up a good, uh, good shout out to my boy, Brent Dean, who's actually was a teammate of mine at that specific time. Um, in 2017 that, that obviously was one of those guys that everyone kind of flocks to because he's, you know, he takes his shirt off and you're like, gosh, dog it. Like you can't help to admire it, but obviously like a super fit dude, you know, cared about his, his, his nutrition and, and his fitness. And, um, I just remember like going up to him and being like, yo, like, what do you got, man? Cause I'm a very, you know, I get very intrigued easily. And, uh, I just like pe picking people's brains. And I just remember having a sit down conversation with the guy and, and told him like, Hey, Oh, I just, you know, it was right around the time that I was dabbling with, with fasting. And, and he was like, yeah, I've been doing that for X amount of months. I also do this ketogenic thing. And I'm like, wait, what? And obviously you have that, that backstory, but and, you know, it actually, it's so helpful to have a guy, you know, especially in person. I know there's a lot of guys online that, you know, will help you with your transition and that's great, but to have him in person and, and we would go on road trips, you know, and it was like, obviously you stop at a mall or something to go eat and it's like, I'm, I don't know what to do. So like, I'll follow him. And, you know, he showed me kind of the ropes in the very beginning stages and, and kind of what he did to, to really prepare. And, um, definitely, you know, I can't thank him enough for, for what he, you know, showed me in those early stages. So that's, um, a great point too there about traveling to eat keto um to maintain your energy levels at that stage what what's the tip that you can give to listeners oh, there man. oh this is going to be great so a lot of people think i'm going to be crazy for this so if you go um shameless plug but if you go on my youtube just type in robbie Rowland, and i think something will come up and uh, if you go to my early youtube videos i started documenting like what it actually took uh to stay ketogenic like on road trips so i would we would usually have like an off day or maybe a day game before we would embark on a pretty decent road trip. And that's, you know, probably like a 12, 15 hour bus ride accompanied by, you know, seven nights in a hotel. Right. So, um, I try to do my part and go to the grocery store and, and just start, just start pretty much meal prepping, man, for that, for that upcoming road trip. I knew, that I would, I would be fasting those days. So I wouldn't really have to worry about a breakfast. So, you know, I would pack a lunch, pack a, 
something for dinner, obviously, but then I'd try to pack like another meal that I could eat somewhere, you know, uh, during the game or something. And, uh, yeah, man, like I, it was, I remember at the time thinking like, is it even worth it, dude? Cause this is like a lot of work, but, uh, but it was cool, man. I think like, uh, YouTubing it, documenting it gave me like a, a different type of angle to make, make me want to do it. Um, so, you know, it was obviously a lot of work got put into it. So I, I bought, I remember buying this huge ice chest and, uh, doing my meal prep, which consisted of obviously like the staples, right? Like chicken thighs, uh, some ribeyes, some New York strips. And again, like obviously I'm on a budget, so I'm going to, you know, all these stores and trying to find the best of the best deals. And then I'd have my nuts. I had obviously a bunch of eggs and bacon. And again, it's like very simplistic things that I'm cooking and I'm just throwing in that, um, and I, obviously I'll go into another detail here in a bit, but you know, just, and then I, I pick out one recipe per, per road trip. This is funny. I'd pick out one recipe per road trip that I wanted to get like fancy on. So if it was like zucchini spiral noodles or like macro friendly pancakes or whatever it was, like I'd try to get fancy and like cook this whole thing and put it. And then the details were, I'd have to call the hotel in advance where we were going I'd have to call them in advance and be like, Hey, I don't want to be picky or anything, but I just want to double check, uh, that you guys will have a microwave and a fridge in whatever room that I'm in. Because apparently I didn't know, but like hotels, they have to like offer that. Um, so I'd be the guy that was like, yo, you know, I'm Robbie, <laughs> I'm going to be this guy. I apologize, but you know, I need a hotel or I need a, I need a fridge and a microwave. Um, and then I, you know, pack up ice and put all that in, in Tupperware. And I, I hate to say it, but it was all, plastic Tupperware and I'd put that in my, in my ice chest and throw it somewhere on a bus, man. And, uh, and once we got to the hotel, strap that on along with my luggage, get to the room, take all that out, put it in the fridge. And then, you know, the, the rest is history, but that's kind of what got that's, you know, again, it, it all goes into it, right? Like, um, you know, if you, if you want to, if you want to feel great every morning, if you want to do the things that you need to do to, to stay optimal, I mean, that's, that was one of the things for me. I think that that kind of helped me stay motivated and stayed on, stayed on top of my diet was holding me accountable. And did you eat enough protein? I mean, I can imagine you need to eat. Oh gosh. So I was, I was obviously, again, we talked about it in the, before the show started, but very experimental guy, you know, so I'd experiment. Uh, and it's funny, you know, I hear it a lot. Like when people start keto, they're so obsessed with like the tracking thing. And that couldn't be more to a T man. Like I, I, I was tracking everything and I was tracking my fasted hours. Like I was obsessed with this. Stuff. It's kind of funny to think about now. Um, but you know, I was experimenting with, uh, you know, one, one ratio as far as protein fats. I was experimenting like almost with a two, one, obviously I think my, my money point was one, uh, a one, one I'd say, this is going to sound crazy, but like proteins, fats around 300 grams each. Um, I'm crushing, you know, eight to 10,000 calories a day. Um, yeah, obviously the carbs were, I was very lenient on, on the carbohydrates just because I was burning through glucose. As you can imagine in the Midwest during the summers, you're just, you're, you're outside, man. You're just, you're burning through everything. You know, I'm even today, like I, I have a very high metabolic, uh, metabolic rate, uh, just resting. So it's like, again, you know, <laughs> you gotta like kind of understand these things, you know, going into it and experiment with, with what you have to do to, to feel your best, to feel optimal. And that was kind of something that I really enjoyed and still enjoy was experimenting with, with what, you know, 
with, with what made me feel which way, you know, and, and, and writing all that down and tracking that. Yeah. And talking about calories there, I mean, some people think, wow, you get to, you know, get away with eating that many calories. Um, did you n- notice any change in your weight at all? I lost weight, dude. I lost a lot of weight, honestly. And I lost a ton of body fat. And it's funny, dude, because everyone was kind of getting mad at me. And it wasn't even like something like, and, and when I say that, I mean like teammates around me that can obviously see the the, the, the transformation. But, and it wasn't even something that I, I seeked I seeked out for like it was I was just doing it because I was feeling really good like cognitively man I struggle with ADHD and it was something that I could really focus um, you know each and every inning when I was out there pitching like I could focus and I felt more just uh, cognitively enhanced and I was able to just hone in on certain things that I wanted to do on the mound and it wasn't even like hey you know I'm a fat guy I need to lose weight like I was never really quote-unquote fat or overweight or obese or whatever you want to call it. It was, um, but as I started doing it and I'm just, dude, I, I kid you not, man, you should have saw some of these meals I was taking down, but it was like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's no accident, eight to 10,000 calories. That's a lot of food. So, um, and I'm losing weight. So everyone around me is kind of like, what are you like, what is happening, man? Like, what are you doing? Um, so, so, so yeah, man, I mean, I don't even remember what you just asked me, but I just, <laughs> I just, I remember specifically, like just, that was kind of a result as far as, you know, some of the excess body fat that my body actually didn't really need was just, you know, shedding off. And, um, and, and I mean, obviously you don't really mind it, but again, as a professional athlete, I think you do kind of need, um, need some of that fat, especially throughout a course of a full season. Well, yeah, I mean, talk, when I talked earlier about energy levels, I mean, we, we're talking where it's how do you sustain energy levels for all those months of the season, but even the energy levels within such so many hours that the game itself plays and doing that time and time again. Um, and as, as you're, uh, you'll need a lot of muscle power to do that explosive movement so i could just imagine you have to bulk up in certain places and you'll need that protein to sustain that yeah absolutely man you couldn't you couldn't have been more spot on with that i think that's something um again it's something that i struggled with in the beginning stages of my 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 journey with with keto was um you know, I'm, I'm seeing like this weight loss, I'm seeing this body fat drop percentage or percentage drop and you know, I'm feeling good. But at the same time, my power output numbers, I would say were down. So how do I, you know, you asked like, how do I track that? Right. So it's obviously ball speed, like velocity, ball velocity is like a big key indicator. Um, within that, that specific number. So, you know, I had a, like a little brief velocity drop and then everyone's like, why are you eating this way? You need carbohydrates, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'll check it out. You know, I'll see, I'll see what, what's going on because again, it's tough because you, you're sitting for me in my journey, I was you know sitting there and I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, I feel really good. And, and we can talk about this, this later in the show, but I was recovering very well. Like, obviously you're not as inflamed when you're not on carbs. So I was recovering really well. And I think that's a big staple within why I, why I love the diet so much. And it was like, okay, what do I have to sacrifice here? You know, what do I kind of pick and choose as far as how I want to proceed with this diet? And again, like I'm very experimental. So, and then I just, and I think with what really helped me within my, my journey on, on, um, how to get the most out of me was I started supplementing some like exogenous ketones before I, 
uh, before I would start. And I think that kind of just really helped ignite that, 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 uh, that quick burn, you know, during my starts. And, um, I was able to, to get right back to where I was, if not even, even a little bit more. Um, so talking about exogenous ketones, sorry, Robbie, did you take, do you still take them or do you take them before you play a match or during a, you play a match? Um, yeah, I mean, I dabble. Um, so I think again, like I've, <laughs> it's funny. So I, I, I did some research on, on those because with anything, I hate to say it, but like I get pretty suspicious with supplementation. So it's like, okay, what is this doing to my body? Yeah, obviously I feel good. But like, what in the long run is this going to do, right? So I think some stuff came out about the more that you take like exogenous ketones, like the less your body will produce them naturally. So that obviously right from the get-go kind of made me like a little suspicious, made me not want to take them as much. So I'll supplement them still like, you know, uh, there's a couple companies that I work with actually that, that produce some really good good exogenous ketones. I won't do any shameless plugging here, but, um, I still do them like say for like a pre-workout jolt, or even if like I need to do some podcasting and I'm, I'm not feeling that great that day, like I'll take them. And, um, but you know, I've gotten to the point, I think what, what, what the, what the main thing was, was I think it just helped me along my fat adaptation phase. Um, felt it just kind of helped me get, get into that a little bit quicker. Um, so to speak, but, uh, you know, if I were to, if I were to have a game today, like, I don't think I would have to necessarily rely on those things, um, you know, to fully, fully get the most out of myself. I'm just thinking for any listeners here who are thinking, Hey, cool. You know, I, I want to be a pro uh, baller and, um, but I need to go through this transition. Is that a tip then you would give to someone saying, if you notice as you said, your ball speed was dropping or your, your power output's dropping, that maybe that's a sign that you need to just take some supplemental exogenous ketones to yeah. get through that stage. I would say definitely some supplements, right? So again, it really helped me to have a mentor in that regard because he was obviously adamant about the, the potassium, magnesium, pink salt on everything, like making sure that, because that's usually the problem, right? Like a lot of people go to this diet and they're like, okay, I'm going to strictly cut out carbs, right? And they don't really realize what that's doing to their body as far as retaining water and staying hydrated. And, that. and as you can imagine, being a professional athlete, like that's the major thing you need to worry about, man, is like being hydrated. Um, so I had the leg up, you know, I was supplementing potassium, magnesium, um, putting pink salt, even just shooting pink salt, you know, like a fourth of a teaspoon at, at times. And I think that really helps. I would always advise someone to do that. And it's funny, like, as I've gone through this journey, like I get a lot of, you know, people on my Instagram, I've developed a nice little following over the years. And I get a lot of people like, you know, high school athletes being like, yo, like, you're having a lot of success on this diet, like, I'm going to try it, what do you got? Like, that's the first thing I'll say, like, okay, if you want to be serious about this, um, you know, make sure you're supplementing these XXX, blah, blah, blah. And another thing that, that helps, I don't think it's a secret is, is be active. You know, obviously you're going to have those days where you're feeling absolute crap, but again, like 
I think it's a temporary thing if you do the right things and it can only last as long as you make it last. Um, and, and when, when it comes down to it, like push comes to shove and you need that extra, you know, giddy up, I would always recommend like exogenous ketones, you know, and, and make sure you message me to get, to get the, the exact products that I use. <laughs> so, but, uh, but it's true, man. Like I, I, I think it just, it just puts you over, uh, it just gives you kind of a boost in that regard as far as energy levels. Um, definitely something that I used and, and, and have success with it. But again, like me and my, my characteristic traits, like I never want to rely on something to, um, you know, to succeed at something. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so, cause that, that's what was going to be one of my other questions. I mean, you've, you found this way of eating now at this stage, but as you said, you've got youngsters who, as you were, you know, they had to start at high school to then try and get drafted in. Do you think this is something that could be optimal for them to begin with to make their careers more sustainable? I do, man. I, I like I said, I, I don't think I'll ever, um, I don't think I, I will ever tell someone not to do keto. The only time that I think I've, I've, I've stopped someone from doing it is when people come up to me during their season and they say like, Hey, I'm thinking about making the switch. What do you think? And I think the risk reward is just too great there. Because again, you're talking about kids that are, you know, trying to get scholarships, trying to get drafted, whatever the case may be. And then they're talking about totally changing their fuel source mid season. Mm -hmm. It's just not smart, right? If you look at big picture, um, you know, and it's funny, like I had Danny Vega on one of my podcasts, obviously, you know, keto counterculture and like one of the leaders in like uh, keto and fitness. And, and he, he kind of says the same thing. And that's something that we agree on is like, you have to be smart about when you're, uh, when you're essentially going through that adaptation. And for me, like, obviously I did it during season and it wasn't the smartest thing. I think a couple of my starts like suffered from that. But if you're smart about the timing of it, you can definitely do it like out of season, you know, when you're not called to compete. Uh, cause baseball players, you know, not a lot of the ones in high school, like won't play year round. So if you can pick out like, Hey, I got a month, I got, Hey, I got, a month to maybe two months here of, you know, I'm not competing. I'm just going to be practicing and training. Like, go ahead, man, do it. Cause I, again, like I will always recommend it for the benefits of the anti-inflammatory properties. I will always recommend it for the cognitive benefits. Um, and then I like to say this too, with people that, that don't really understand it is it's a constant practice of willpower for me. And obviously, like when you can practice your willpower each and every day, that's going to breed into other areas of your life. Um, and that's what that's. Uh, and again, like, I think when it comes to uh, like the nutrition side of things for me, that bred over to like the biohacking side of things and that bred to more like um, seeking out like longevity, seeking out optimal health. Like it's just almost an obsession. I think it all stemmed for me from just going straight into the ketogenic diet. Yeah. And I can, I can imagine that. I mean, that's something we haven't even touched on is the whole psychology involved in sports itself too. And I'm just thinking about that. Yeah. When as a, as an athlete where maybe you have the ups and downs of a season, but suddenly you, you try something, you go, whoa, I feel different. And it's actually making me feel better. But you've got that pressure to go, I, I've got the willpower to sustain this because yep. the, the, the temptation, I guess, from others around you eating a certain way, huh. getting sponsors to give you and say, hey, just eat all these funky things for us. And you're like, no, no, I need to stay the course. And, uh, <laughs> but as you said, that inspires you. And, and 
I can only imagine what that does for you psychologically. Yeah. You know what, Anthony J actually, I had him on my podcast and I'm going to go shameless plug for your listeners. You can check my podcast out at the Robbie Rose show. But, um, I had Anthony J on my show, man. And he said something that I'll always remember as far as the ketogenic diet or anything, you know, that science says. And I quote him when he said, trust the science and then like worry about the other stuff later. And that's so true, right? Because if the data is showing us positive benefit, then just trust that. And obviously you can talk about like how much placebo effect has on, on one's, you know, mental performance. But if you're going to sit there and like, you're going to say like, Oh, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. You're changing fuel sources, man. Like it's not something like any other yo-yo diet that's going to happen overnight. Right. Like it's funny when I get kids that actually do do it and they're on like their third or fifth day of keto and they go, dude, I feel great. Then I'm like, eh, you're probably doing something wrong. man. (laughs) You might need to look at like what you're actually consuming. But, um, it's true, man. Like trust the science right and if and if you're uh, and if you're on the you know the the i know there's a lot of people that are kind of hesitant to do it because this whole quote unquote keto flu is out there and everyone's kind of scared of that um I, I just i just encourage them to do more research into the benefits of keto like i don't think people uh, and again it's it's fine to be kind of like that as a person to where you you look at the immediate disadvantages, but accompany that with like the advantages too. Again, we talk about like risk reward and, and weighing the possible outcomes. For me, it was like the 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 reward farly out, out outweighed the the risk in that regard. And there's one of your tips now to, to for athletes, or just anyone, I guess, um, more t- the protein side. So this like takes me more into the carnivore like the keto carnival side and i've seen your pictures too where you know when you're traveling and you you've got all the burger patties with the cheese <laughs> and and that. Um, so sort of that way of keto versus just trying to bucket load lots of butter and mct oil in one end it's actually you're you'd prefer to have the, the natural saturated fats from the animal sources plus get to eat all this meat yeah again and, and again i go back to my experimentation uh, side of my my overall being is i've experimented with the, the the guy being like going to starbucks and getting all the to-go carry gold butters you know and like carrying those around and then putting those on everything and and carrying some some and i'll still i'll still do that right like if i'm traveling i know i'm going to be in an airport all day like i'll obviously have some some mct to go things some pink salt to go things and there's things that i still will supplement but as far as like i always try to to get like the main bulk of my nutrients from like whole dense like protein. So that's why you see like the, the burger patties and that's why you see the freaking three pounds of steak per sitting. Like I just, I think there's no substitute for just, just quality, good, like red meat, man. And, and again, it goes back to what is going to make you feel optimal. Right. And I've kind of learned throughout the last, you know, a year and a half that, the, when I feel my best is when I'm consuming high amounts of protein, usually between like 200, 250 grams. And my fat is pretty much right around there. And I know that I can wake up every single day, like feeling good and feeling ready to attack the day, whatever that day, that day holds. Um, again, and, and I, I'm still like super experimental. So some days, um, you know, obviously my non-fasting days, but like I'll, I'll still 
go around and, and play with, you know, really high copious amounts of fats and then moderate amounts of protein like the strict keto people will do. And, you know, I just don't feel as good. And I don't know if that's to say that, you know, I'm not maybe adapted to that. And that's totally fine. Like, I, I, I agree. Maybe I am not. But again, like, you know, I, I think as an athlete, like you need that that quality source of protein and, and don't be scared of protein. You know, I think it's uh, more and more research is coming out about um, the whole gluconeogenesis thing and everyone being so scared of that. And I think there's a lot of people doing doing phenomenal jobs at kind of debunking that. Right. And um, and I don't want to say like I'm one of those guys, but I can still pull like a, a two to two point five millimole ketone reading after a total of maybe five to six pounds of steak the previous day. So obviously it's not like affecting my ketone levels. Um, you know, I don't know how much weight you would put in that, that meter, but it's just, it's just kind of something to, to determine. Yeah. And have you had any lapses on your journey too? So I can imagine, you know, you, there's, as you said, a little bit with the psychology of, of being able to maintain this way of eating, but I'm, have you had any experiences where maybe you had to have a social event or something where you went, oh, okay, I've, I'll just, I'll have a bit more bread or a bit more carbs of, of some sort. And then you realize like, dang, that I, that's influenced me. Like the next day you can see, oh dear. All right. This is not great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, short answer. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's funny, man, because I will say like this diet, it just, it complements my personality very well. Like I'm, I'm someone that doesn't really care what people think about them. I've kind of walked to the beat of my own drum. So when I am the guy in a restaurant, like ordering, Hey, can I get six beef patties? Like nothing else. Uh, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Like I'm, I'm fine with being weird and maybe a little bit obnoxious for the, the restaurant. And, um, it's fine because again, you know, how bad do you want to feel good, right? Like how bad do you want to chase optimal performance? Uh, obviously that, that goes back to understanding what that looks like as far as for your personal being. Um, but again, short answer. Yes, man. Like there's been some occasions I remember specifically being like with my team, um, like celebrating, right. And then, uh, alcohol's involved and, and I don't, I don't like drink or anything, but it was like, yeah, I guess I'll have like one drink, you know, to celebrate with for a big win or something, whatever it is. And, um, and I mean, that goes into the equation or I remember we, uh, I was in Mexico playing winter ball and like we were in like the, the world series of, of all like Caribbean series teams. And we went to this steakhouse place, dude. And I'm talking like I crushed in a sitting, like close to four pounds of ribeye. And then they're like, Hey, you guys want dessert? And I'm like, oh boy, like what's your dessert, man? <laughs> like they come out with these big old cakes, dude. And I'm like, yeah, I'll have a cake. Yeah, sure. So I crushed a cake. But it's funny, uh, just kind of piggybacking on um, that side of things is like I'm in the process of like an eight to 12 week bulk right now, <laughs> attempting one. And uh, I've learned that I just, you know, and this is no disrespect to like the ketogenic community and the individuals who say that you, you can bulk on keto. I just have not had success with it. So I'm in like a cyclical type of ketogenic bulk right now. It's funny because you kind of weigh the pros and cons, right? I absolutely love being in a nutritional state of ketosis just because, you know, I can sit on here and I can talk for an hour to two hours on a podcast without, you know, freaking out that I haven't moved in the X amount of time, right? But I know that like I, the way that I feel when I'm out of keto, dude, like again, going back to like my ADHD problems, like I can't do it. So again, it's, you know, it's kind of trying to set yourself up for some success there. But, um, 
uh, just uh, touching briefly on my my like cyclical bulk is like I've I've had a little bit more leeway, I guess you would say, on like my cyclical days as far as my you know carbohydrates go and and whatnot and what I can eat on those days. But um, you know, I definitely feel like like that next day or whatever. I'm like, man, I I got to get back into it. But um, yeah, I don't know if I answered that question. But there you yeah, go. yeah, you did. I mean, it's no the the way I wanted to sort of uh, just lay it out is that yeah, no one's perfect, and so we always experiment of of maybe having more carbs. And for instance, if you if you're keto, but it's always fascinating then to go. I don't know if if cutting out the carbs made a big difference, but then when you go back to carbs, you might go, oh man, I feel so grotty or I'm cramping or my sleep or something's changed again. It was sleep for me. Yeah, it was definitely sleep for me, man. Like I, that was the first thing I noticed was, um, this is gonna, I don't know if this will sound weird or not, but, um, when I'm like, when I'm keto again, like I don't, I don't need like eight hours to 10 hours of sleep at night. Like I'm getting four to five and, and I'm waking up, man, and I'm feeling really good and I'm ready to attack. And then, uh, I noticed like on some of the days where I am higher in carbs, uh, I'm like groggy in the morning, like I'm grinding to get to the coffee maker. And it's just like, again, like, is that an optimal way to live, you know? And, um, I don't know, but again, everyone's, I think everyone's different in their journey. Right. And I will say just to, to make sure we do touch on this is, I would always encourage someone to be pretty dang strict in the early stages of their keto adaptation because being fat adapted pays off in the long run. So if you can be strict, say if you can be strict for six months, six to eight months, and I know that's asking a lot, but I promise you like it'll pay off. And that's kind of the way I approached it. Like I think I was pretty dang strict. Like I think my first man, I want to say like my first year of keto, like I was, I, I didn't really have any cheat days. Like I didn't do any cyclical stuff. I was strictly keto and I got fat adapted pretty quick. And I've learned through my cyclical bulk that once you're fat adapted, man, your body is very adaptable to getting back into that nutritional state of ketosis pretty dang quickly. And it's a very cool thing because you can have those cheat days and I'm not encouraging anyone to have those cheat days. But again, everyone goes on vacation, right? Like everyone has the weekend getaways and you don't want to sacrifice your, um, your life, you know, for a diet and, and maybe some people do. And that's great. If you can stay keto, like all the time, that's great. It's nothing, nothing harm. But I, again, psychologically, I will say like, it's okay, um, you know, to have those weekend getaways and, and, and crush a pizza that's not cauliflower crust or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, it, again, like going back to the fat adaptation and the importance of that is, is, um, for me, it's, it's huge because it's crazy to see what my body's doing for me right now, man, with this, with the cyclical bulk is, you know, I can go 200 to 300 grams of carbs one day and I can pretty much be back into ketosis like the next night. And that's pretty dang fascinating. So, yeah. And, I just want to also ask about circadian biology, so like body clock stuff. When, right in the beginning, you were talking about how, and I, I've always found that fascinating watching a professional game and guys are trying to perform at top, top level at nine or 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And as you said, then, you know, people need to eat afterwards or during, and from a body clock point of view, that's that's just knocking your circadian rhythm way out. How do you handle that? Totally. Yeah, totally off. And that's something that I've got, I've become obsessed with in this past year is like the optimizing circadian rhythm to, 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 uh, obviously your performance, but it's tough to do when you play a sport that the game starts when it's nighttime. <laughs> but, um, something that I did to, to help was I tried to the best of my ability kind of just adjust that clock. Um, within my my personal being and what I mean by that is just kind of getting 
getting it going a little bit later and just trying to adjust that. Um, again, I think the body is very adaptable into that circumstance as far as if you demand it to be at your top peak performance at a certain time over and over again, I think it's going to adjust to that. Um, but something that I, I, I'd started doing this past year that I, I never saw myself doing ever because previous years I was a big, like sleep in night out guy. Um, I started waking up right when the sun would come up, you know, and again, it goes back to not, not needing so much sleep, but, um, at first I started setting the alarm, you know, six thirty, eight o'clock. And again, I'm going to bed at like midnight, but, uh, started setting the alarm and then shoot, man, like that, that second week I started doing that. Like I was up, you know, I was up right when the sun would come up and I'd right when I wake up again, we can talk about biohacking, but right when I'd wake up 16 ounces of water, get up and those first steps, like go outside and, and, take your shoes, socks off. Well, I don't know who wears shoes and socks when they sleep, but just, just walk up and, and go. And I had a nice little patch of grass, man. And I just walk on the grass for like 10 minutes. And, and I think, uh, I know it's going to sound like hippie ish and crazy, but like that just, that just started the day like really good, you know, and, and, and talk about circadian rhythm, like the, the way we were made to really start a day. And it's funny because like people were like, because uh, I was tracking everything, you know, I had a Fitbit and I was tracking the amount of sleep, the quality of sleep. And, and I posted on my Instagram stuff and people were like, you're an idiot. Like you're crazy. You need eight to 10 hours of sleep. You're a professional athlete, blah, blah, blah. But man, I felt, I never felt better, you know, when I was getting that, you know, four to five hours of sleep, but starting my days off like that. Um, and it, and it was like, I didn't need a nap anymore. Right. Like, whereas before, um, even if I was sleeping eight to 10 hours a, a night, I would still try to sneak away during the, the day and take it like an hour nap. And I wasn't needing that, you know, and even, even throughout the course of the game, like I was, again, going back to the, you know, being locked in and mentally focused was, I was locked in, man. I was locked in all day. And I think, you know, it all kind of was a culmination of everything that I was doing to set myself up for success. Mm. And do you find that you skip breakfast or you have breakfast? Um, well, again, like for me, it, it varies because sometimes, um, my last meal is probably going to be around like 11. Um, the, the days that I really set myself up for success were the days where I would eat before the game. Um, so, you know, six, six thirty, and then I wouldn't eat again. I, I try to like hit a 16, you know, 16, eight method, but then I really started having some success when I, I, I didn't do like an IF style of, of, living every single day i would do it like almost every other day monday wednesday friday and then i started like noticing that my body was like oh you know people talk about like confusing your body confusing your metabolism and that was something that i actually really did like um but obviously it's tough you know again that's one of the tougher things when you sleep four to five hours a night is you're not you're going to be hungry you know kind of you know the second or third hour you're awake but um i i, I did a lot of experimentation with like some fat fasting so like i'd have i'd wake up and i'd, I'd do probably like a gallon of water before i had my first coffee but when i had my first coffee it was like you know mcts coconut oil uh, like a splash of splash of heavy cream and some butter and um you know i'd be okay i think I, i'd be okay after that until like another hour or two and then by that time when i did eat it was like oh i was i was approaching my window so it was good but again like it's funny because that's a pretty high debatable topic when it comes to professional sports is like there's no reason you should be intermittent fasting and it's like okay well i i disagree with that <laughs> and i think 
that tip you mentioned there before a game so maybe one or two hours before you're about to to start pitching that you have one of those nice big meaty meals just to get the energy into your body and then once your metabolism after two hours is sort of digested and then you're just in that good state hopefully for the for the game i'm guessing yeah it, it varies again right so i the days that I'll, I pitch, I'm making sure because I'm again the days that I pitch, man, I'm I'm burning a very high amount of calories and energy, and those are the days where like I won't even consider fasting or, or worry about fasting that night. So you know, again, I'll, I'll eat before the game, I'll pitch, I'll eat after the game, I'll wake up that next morning, I'll get a big meal in, I'll have some coffee, and then I'll throughout that whole day, like I'm making sure that I'm replenishing my body with proper nutrients that it needs. And then maybe that next day, you know, I can, or that next night, knowing I'm not going to pitch that night, not going to play that night. I'll, uh, I'll start my fasting window probably around like five or six and then set myself up for a little bit of more success going, going uh, past that. I want to ask about something completely random, but <laughs> chewing gum. Cause whenever I watch baseball, you know, the guys are always chewing. Uh-huh. like tobacco or gum i guess nowadays but, uh-huh. and i know it's in one way it's because of nerves you know it's it's tense and there's pressure and so chewing something probably relieves that psychological pressure which is why people are doing it but i've also you know that stimulates your nervous system you're chewing it pro- i wonder does it make you you know more hungry do guys have to snack more and how have you dealt with that that's funny man that's a good topic i never even touched on this um i haven't chewed gum since i've been keto um, that's weird. I didn't even think about that. I, I haven't chewed gum since being keto. Um, I, I do seeds. I, I do seeds, strictly macro friendly seeds. Um, the salt intake is actually fairly keto friendly on those. Sometimes you got to carefully watch for the added, you know, flavors. They'll, they'll sneak some sugar in there for you, but, um, I'll do seeds when I pitch, I don't, I don't chew anything. I don't think I don't really have anything going on. Um, no, I, I but I, I do understand what you're saying as far as like the central nervous system and, and, and kind of countering that with something. But I've learned uh, that being keto, going back to the whole focus thing is, I don't think I need to rely on something like that, that magnitude. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much, pretty much good when it comes to being able to hone in and focus on on the task at hand and not really needing anything but if i'm just chilling in the dugout knowing that i'm not pitching like yeah i'll throw some seeds in and more of a way just to to have something right to like kill the time a little bit more efficiently um that's a really good point dude i'm actually gonna like write write a blog or something on that so thanks for that (laughs) yeah well i i I, you know as a as a consumer of the sport, just visually, you always see the guys chewing something. So I can, yeah. and it's just, it's there in the dugouts. It, it must be a habit that as guys come out, you know, they've had it, they've had that adrenaline pump that, and some, and now they've just got to sit there and watch and it's tense and you, you know, are oh, we going to get a run here? So people just grab, I guess, yeah. must be a ball and they chew and then it's, it, it just becomes a habit. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're right. Like that's, that's so true though. Cause I mean, we have barrels and barrels of gum in the dugout and seeds and all that stuff. And I think it's more of just a, not a have to have it just, Oh, it's there. So I'll have it. Right. It's like when you're bored at home and you have all this food in the fridge, like you're going to probably eat. <laughs> but, um, but it's funny because I remember when I was in high school and I was an infielder 
I struggled again, going back to like my ADHD. It was like, I struggled sitting there, not doing anything, not having the ball. So I remember like my dad was like, Hey, like chew, chew a big pack of gum, like just have something right. That's like kind of occupying your, uh, your focus. Yeah. Um, it, that's why I said it was a bit of a sidetrack, but I, I did think it would also, from a keto point of view, it would be interesting because gum typically is full of sugars and, you know, to yeah. keep it entertained. So you're, um, you're not needing to go with that or even that peer pressure amongst everyone else that they're, they're chewing around you, but you don't need to chew anymore. And they, and you might stick out like a sore thumb. They're like, why is Robbie not chewing anymore? <laughs> yeah. Even with the Gatorade too, it's funny. Um, we have guys like trainers and whatnot, like we'll, we'll fill up Gatorade things for us when we're pitching and bring it to us wherever we're sitting in the dugout. And like, I had to specifically tell my guy like, Hey, I'm not going to, you know, I don't need the Gatorade. Just, just bring me water. <laughs> and it's funny. Like I'll even, I'll even pack around like a gallon of, of, of water, like one of those um, gallon jugs, you know, people bring around and whatnot. And I'll fill mine like with a fourth cup of pink salt and shake it up and, and just bring that around with me on the days that I pitch. Yeah. So we've been talking for a good hour now and I think we've covered a lot of great topics. I mean, so many actionable things. And what I love about the things that you shared today, Robbie, you know, aspiring young athletes will be getting so many um, topics out of this that they can start implementing themselves today so that they don't have to wait 10 years and then go, oh, maybe I should have tried this. <laughs> and even guys now who are potentially midway to near end of career and they, but they, they need that recovery factor even more you're giving them actionable tips again that they could start implementing today, which is what I loved. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you've given us insight into the world of baseball, um, which I think a lot of fans of baseball are also, again, going to love hearing like, oh, is that what it's really like? <laughs> <laughs> it's not all glamorous that people think. <laughs> cool. Well, for anyone uh, interested in following you, keeping up to date with you, you've, you've dropped earlier the, the podcast, but this is a time to, to say it again. Um, what are the sort, sort of social pl platforms or places that you'd like people to keep in contact with you? Oh, well, unfortunately, you can pretty much find me anywhere. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very active on social media. I love keeping up with, with people that are looking for tips or just fans in general. Like It's so much fun for me. Um, but on Instagram, you can find me, RobbieRow12 is my username. It's Robbie with a Y. Twitter, Robbie Rowe underscore one, two. I'm not as active as I used to be um, on Twitter now that Instagram's kind of taken over the world. But Facebook, obviously, just my name, Robbie Rowland. Uh, again, YouTube is something that you can go back. I'm not as super active on YouTube, but I dabble with like some vlogging stuff uh, whenever I have time. And uh, you can just type in Robbie Rowland. I think that's my username, actually, it's Robbie Rowland. Um, but if you want a pretty funny kick, you can uh, go to that YouTube and, and then go to like my first few videos. Like I said earlier in the show, was I started documenting like <laughs> my grocery hauls and uh, I started documenting like things that I needed to do to, to stay on track and I go back and look at those sometimes and it's like wow I'm such a nerd but uh but podcast um that's where I'm probably most active and, and you can hear my beautiful voice on that anytime you want at the Robbie Rowe show again Robbie with a Y it's uh it's available on Apple Podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play and uh, I think that is yeah that's it Cool, man. Well, for any listeners, I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes for, for people too. But Robbie, again, thank you so much for your time, sharing all your knowledge. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure everyone else has too. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you inviting me and having me on and letting me, uh, letting me talk. It's something I do pretty well. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> cool. <laughs>